Hey everybody, this is uh, the ProfessionalVMware.com Bag U.S. edition. Today is Wednesday, January the 6th, 2016. Happy New Year. Um, our presenter today is Conrad Ramos. He's at VNoob on Twitter, and he'll be talking about optimizing PowerShell and PowerCLI scripts. Now, before I turn it over to Conrad, um, just a few quick things to run through, like uh, we always do. Uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter. We're at the Brown Bag. Uh, you can also use the hashtag uh, at any time since we're a global, uh, you know, webinar organization. There's always conversation going on under the hashtag. That's hashtag the Brown Bag. Our other uh, Twitter uh, accounts for our, our, our other webinars. We've got the Brown Bag Mia and the Brown Bag Latam L A T A M. That's our Spanish-speaking version of the podcast. It's run by Mr. Kyle Murley. Uh, you can find us at professionalvmore.com forward slash brownbag. Uh, you can go to YouTube and check out the V Brown Bag channel where we keep all of our podcast recordings from all over the world, all of our tech talks that we've done at uh, various conferences like Cisco Live, uh, the OpenStack conferences, VMworld, etc. So again, my name is Damian Carlson. I'm six foot dead on Twitter. We've got Conrad Ramos presenting tonight. And... Uh, Conrad, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, get started. Awesome. Great. Just <laughs> wait and skip presenter here and I'll kick it off. All righty. Yeah, I was uh, wanted to stop showing my screen so you guys wouldn't have to see the silly admin panel for GoToWebinar. <laughs> Oh, and uh, by the way, everyone, uh, if you do have any questions, you can use the, the hashtag VBrownBag, um, and I'll be watching Twitter. Uh, you can also tweet at VNoob, um, that's Conrad's uh, Twitter account, or you can use the GoToWebinar interface. If you send a question uh, to me, the admin, uh, I can ask Conrad for you. Alternatively, if you'd like to talk to Conrad directly, uh, feel free to raise your hand or just shoot a message there in the chat. And I'll unmute you, and uh, you can you can talk to Conrad yourself. All right, thank you, sir. Awesome. Uh, can you see my screen there? Okay, Damien. Indeed, I can. Perfect. So, hey, everybody. Uh, today we're going to be talking about optimizing your PowerShell and PowerCLI scripts to make them better, faster, more efficient, quicker and less redundant. So who am I? I'm Conrad Ramos, sort of what uh, Damian was talking about just a minute ago. It's my name. Uh, I am at vnoob.com. You can find me on the Twitters at vnoob. I have been a vExpert for the past three years. I have my vcap DCA, my vcap DCD, and that guy you see on the right side there has a slight resemblance to me. So who is this for? Well, it's for people. It's for everyone. It's, it's for you, hopefully, if, if you're watching this. It's for people who are at least vaguely familiar with PowerShell. It's for people who are familiar with verbs, because English is always, or just language in general, is always a good thing to know. People who are familiar with nouns. Maybe you're just starting a script, and you have a few commands that you're wanting to put inside a, a more formal script and you're not sure you know, what the most efficient way to do that is, or maybe you already have been scripting for a while and you're just looking to make your scripts 
as quote unquote optimized as possible. And I am hopeful, we'll see if everyone can learn a little something from this. So here's just a general overview of some of the things we are going to be covering. We're going to start off with what it means to optimize PowerShell PowerCLI scripts. In the future, I may just say PowerShell or PowerCLI. Just kind of going to use it independently or not necessarily together. And what it means to optimize a PowerShell script is sort of an interesting thing in and of itself because it could mean different things to different people, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Oh, I just somehow paused my screen sharing. Why does it say it's paused? There we go. Um, I still show that it's working. Okay, it, it was like blinking at me and said it was paused. All right, I guess we're good now. Um, all right, what it means to optimize, we're going to talk about minimize thinking, and I'm not necessarily talking about you as the script writer or PowerShell writer minimizing your thinking. We're going to talk about how to minimize the thinking for PowerShell to make your scripts better. We're going to talk about filtering on the left. This is a kind of an important topic that pretty much any time anyone ever talks about optimizing PowerShell scripts or making them more efficient, you will hear this term in some way, shape, or form about filtering on the left. We'll get into that. Talk about the difference between for each, or like the for each statement, and the for each dash object. A lot of people use them um, interchangeably, and they're really not. They're pretty different beasts, and we'll talk about the differences and what each of them are good for. Talk about comparing lists and arrays to get the most out of them and to hopefully do them as efficiently as possible because there are a few different ways one can compare lists and arrays. We're going to talk about utilizing API calls instead of commandlets because API calls are generally going to be quicker. Let's get into that. And so here we go. What it means to optimize your PowerShell and Power CLI scripts. So the first thing we talk about is readability. And what does readability mean? It means can anyone understand what in the hell your script is doing? You want people to be able to look at your script, be able to understand what you're doing, what commandlets you're running, what is the expected output of your script, what this section is supposed to accomplish versus a different section, and all of those great things that make your script readable and understandable. And will you understand what in the hell your script is doing four months from now? I think this is an interesting distinction from the point before it because often we write a script, and obviously when we're writing it, we understand it 110%, but that's because we've been thinking about it nonstop for the past hour, or several hours, or several days, or however long it's taken us to write it. So we want to make sure that in the future, it is readable and understandable enough that we can pick it up and there is a lot less time for us to get back into it and understand what we were thinking however long ago. The next thing we'll talk about is conciseness. And conciseness, it can mean a couple different things, but in general, how long is your script? Can your script be made any shorter? 
can you eliminate redundancy from your script? And you know, there are good things and bad things about making your script more concise. Performance, which I think is probably the keystone of what most people think about when they think of optimizing anything, which is how quickly does it get done? Because we all have way too much to do, and we just want to get our scripts done as quick as possible. The other thing is, does your script return what you intend, which it may not be performance, but I'm looking at it as performance, and that is a CSV or some kind of table from your script. Does it output what you want it to? Or instead, after you get the output from your script, do you need to spend so you can use it in the way you want? I mean, your, the performance of your script is not very good if you have to spend 10 or 15 minutes after every time you run your script to get the output you really want. These are the three main, well, these are some of the three ways we can look at to optimize PowerShell and PowerCLI scripts, but as I said, it could mean different things to different people. Another way someone might look at optimizing their PowerShell or PowerCLI script, which I won't talk about today, is reusability. And reusability, to me, is kind of a function of these three. You know, you're going to have readability when you come back to it and you want to reuse your script. Are you going to be able to understand? Are you going to be able to hop right in? Is it, do you want to make it actually a fully-fledged function and assign parameters to it? Do you want to make that function of a full-out function and have the help file with the parameters listed and what each of the parameters are and examples and all that stuff? But I'm talking about today, and the best scripts are going to have a balance of all of these elements. And I'll get into the balance in just a second. So the first thing, readability. Increasing readability doesn't decrease performance. What do I mean? If you are making your script easier to read, it should not decrease performance. It, it might make your script a bit bigger, but it's a good kind of bigger because you will then be able to understand your script more and everyone else will be able to understand your script more. The comments that you can put in your script will only help you at all because the script doesn't even look at them. They are just comments. It doesn't do anything with them. They are strictly there for your own benefit. So it benefits you and others to put the comments in there to explain what you're trying to do in this particular section, what your output is supposed to be in this section, your thoughts for doing it this way. Anything you can put in there but comment it out can only help you or others get into your frame of mind at the time you wrote this script. Write out aliases. This again, but using a question mark, when the question mark is just, excuse me, an alias for where object, it does not hurt you at all to type where object 
versus a question mark. And it only makes it easier to read and easier to understand later. You lose two extra seconds now to maybe gain a minute or two in the future when you're rereading this script and trying to figure out again what in the hell you were thinking. And one-liners are cool, but you have to know when you have a problem. It is great. One-liners are great. They're nice because they're one line, but I think we've all seen those one-liners that aren't just one line. They're five lines, or they're ten lines, or they're twenty lines, or however long. It's, it's fun, and it can be a challenge to do one-liners, but when you get to a certain point, you lose all readability on your one-liners. As examples here, this is a one-liner. And heaven help whoever is going to take this and try to use it on their own or try to tweak it to make it do something slightly different than whatever it is the, the, the original author of this intended because it probably works perfectly fine for the author and that is awesome for them but it doesn't necessarily help anyone else who wants to gain something from this so readability is important because we want to be able to understand what it is that we are writing so the next section hey Conrad is, yes just want to let you know that your your um, the little fade-in animations that are happening with the PowerPoint, they're kind of clunkier on GoTo, I just noticed. Okay. So, you know, if there's something that, that just kind of fades in really quick before we move on to the next one, just, just be aware that we might not actually be able to see it yet. Okay. So like, so for example, when you were showing the one-liner, yeah, yeah, when you were showing the one-liner, it wasn't there for a few seconds, and then it very slowly faded in. Okay. I just want to let you know that. Yeah, go Good to webinar. It's a it's a fantastic platform. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, here I thought I was keeping it simple with the the simple fade ends, but sorry about that. <laughs> oh, it's it's quite all right. It's quite all right. Um. <laughs> all right. So conciseness. Being concise it can increase performance. However, being too concise can make readability an absolute crazy nightmare as we were just that one-liner that was just just scary. The other thing conciseness, or we should think about when we think about conciseness, is eliminating unnecessary logic statements. Is there, if you have a logic statement, like an if or a where object or anything else, or maybe a switch, uh, a switch function. Is there a different or a better way to do that? So get that out of there. And in doing that, you can possibly eliminate some redundancy. And redundancy is only going to make your scripts not only longer and less concise, but redundancy is going to make your script have a poorer performance overall. And part of eliminating redundancy is make your gets, and what do I mean by gets? 
it. I mean get VM or get VM host or those types of commandlets. Make your gets as smart as possible. And part of making them as smart as possible is having as few of them as possible when necessary or when it makes sense. And I know that's a really weird way to put it, but I'm going to be getting to sort of expanding on that here in a minute. So one way for gets is hopefully you can see it now on the right side of the screen. It's I have three lines of PowerShell, PowerCLI code up there. First line is uh, obviously I'm assigning the variable VM to all of the VMs in vCenter and assign it to just that one variable. The second line, dollar sign disks, it's going to get all the VMs and then it's going to get all of the hard disks associated with those VMs and assign that to that variable. And the third line, very similar to the second, dollar sign VM hosts is going to be, uh, I'm going to grab all the VMs and then I'm going to get all of the VM hosts with those VMs and I'm going to assign that to that variable. And hopefully we can all see that there is a much more efficient and better way to, oh gosh, that is a typo in there. I don't know how I missed that one. All right, uh, so dollar sign VMs equals get, that should be dash VM. And then in the second two lines, I'm just simply from the first line, the get dash, should be dash VM, to get the hard disks and then to get the VM host. So instead of using the get VM three different times, that's three different times where my script has to go and talk to vCenter and pull that information back, I've just shrunk that down to one. So there's really no way that that isn't more efficient than that. I really don't know how I missed that. Okay. Performance. And I think we all know the first thing that comes to all of our heads when we are talking about performance. And that is, I want to go fast, as Richard Bobby would say. It's not just fast. You want to go, like, epically fast, like super crazy, absolutely ridiculously as fast as you can go. But there's, there's more to performance than just that, because you want to go fast, but you want to go fast with as few errors as possible. If your script completes in 10 seconds, or 20 seconds, or however long, great, congratulations, that's awesome. But if the whole time that your script lines of red scrolling up your screen and filling up everything, well, that's, that's just not good and you should probably work on making your script better and have less air that your script has to churn out and it doesn't help your performance and it just doesn't look nice and it's not pretty and it's not a good way to have your script. If your script every time it runs, it's just filling up screen with red. <laughs> Air handling is for PowerShell and PowerCLI is just a crazy conversation in and of itself and could probably fill up two or three brown bags handling in PowerShell. So we won't talk about that for now, 
But just realize that if you are filling up your screen with errors, maybe you should take a look at what's going on, even if you are speaking of output. I sort of uh, spoke about this earlier, but is your script giving you what you want when it's all said and done? Is it giving, is it giving you the right information? Because again, not to harp on it, but if you have to spend extra time after your script is done reformatting whatever your script has given you, then just spend the extra time up front in your script to make it give you the correct format every time. You can only benefit if your script is giving you exactly what you want every time. Because you want your script to go fast, like Sonic the Hedgehog here. Sonic is super fast. Not when it going like this Sonic the Hedgehog, which I'm not here to judge, but this Sonic looks like he probably is not super fast. Okay, and how do we measure how fast a script runs? That is a great question. I am happy that I asked it. The best way and probably the easiest way is to use the measure.-command commandlet tool to measure speed at which a task or script finishes. It's also super, super easy to use. And I even have a couple quick examples. Hopefully they come up on screen when I start talking about them. So the first one here that I'm showing is the measure-command with the parameter expression. You don't necessarily need to use it. It's a positional parameter. And then inside of it, I'm doing get VM. I want to see how long this get VM will last. It's a simple enough command. Just toss it in there. It works. Next up, I'm going to do something similar, but I'm doing it in a slightly different way just to show you guys that it can be done that way. And that's the measure command parameter expression. And then inside, we actually can put more than one line. So in the first line, I'm doing a get VM, signing it to the VMs. Man, these errors in this, this, this PowerPoint, I should really get those fixed. Uh, should be assigned to the variable VMs. And then on the next line, VMs pipeline, type it into a get hard disk. Again, it will take and measure how long that whole thing runs together. And last but not least, you can, and in some cases probably should, just toss, just toss your whole darn script in there. So again, measure command, expression, and then I just put script.ps1. Got to obviously put the location, which is why I got the dot slash in there. But script.ps1, whenever it's done running, it won't. Now, none of these will give you the, the output they would normally give you. At the end, you'll just get the time it ran. But I'll show you some examples of that coming up here. So we want to minimize the thinking. And as I said before, we don't want to minimize our own thinking because a lot of times we're writing these scripts, probably going a lot more than it does when we're watching a show or playing video games or whatever. So we want to minimize the thinking of PowerShell. 
So I have a couple, couple, I guess, scripts or commands. I don't know what you want to call it here. Let's talk about this first one. So on the first line, I have the variable VMs, and I am assigning that from the get VM command line. On the next line, I have the variable disks, and I'm using the variable from the first line, VMs, and I'm typing that to get hard disks. So that variable is going to be the of all of those VMs, all of their hard disks is what the dollar sign disks variable is going to be. So then I have another statement, and I'm doing a for each here. So I'm saying for each uh, uh, VM, I want to take that variable disks, and I want to say where its parent is just like a VM that the loop. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, and rightfully so, that this script is really silly and really doesn't accomplish anything because I could just type dollar sign disks and get everything that the for each statement is doing. But I wanted to do something easy to show you how these run. So on the right side, I'm going to do something very similar, and it'll be the same output, but it's in a different way. Uh, I'm starting up the same, so I'm doing the variable VMs with the get VM commandlet. But this time with the for each loop, I'm doing the, the VM or the variable VM that the loop is currently on, and I'm doing get hard disk for that VM. Again, when it's all said and done, I will have all of the disks for all of those VMs. These are two different ways to do it. Now, if we're comparing the ways that they're doing it, on the left side, we see that we're taking the variable disks and we're actually applying logic to it. And we're saying where this object's, where its property parent matches VM, the VM that this loop, the for each loop is currently on. On the right-hand side, we're saying for this object, this VM that the loop is currently on, we want to go to B center and say, hey, B center, tell me what the, the hard disks are for this VM. So it's two different ways to handle it. So in the left way, we're doing logic to get the answer. In the right way, we're doing more gets from vCenter to get the answer. So it's kind of interesting the way it turns out. And here's sort of how it turned out when I ran these. And hopefully this comes up in a decent amount of time for you guys. So in the first way, and sorry for the weird highlighting, I'm not sure really what happened uh, when I was running this, but it's just, just like I said on the previous slide on the left side. So we're doing the VMs, we're getting all the hard disks for the VMs, and then in the for each loop, we're doing the disks, and we're looking for where the parent matches the VM that's currently in the loop. So doing that, we get three minutes and one second to turn through all of those and essentially return to us what those disks are. On the right-hand side, maybe surprisingly, maybe not surprisingly enough, we do the, again, we get the VMs up front, and then for each of those VMs, 
we use the object that's currently in the loop, VM, and we do a get hard disk. So we are going and poking vCenter each time that loop iterates to say what hard disks are associated with this VM. And this, as opposed to three minutes and one second, is 20 seconds, which is interesting. Uh, another thing to think about is that for this particular environment, there are around 900 VMs and around 3,000 hard disks. So for this particular instance, what's happening is if we're looking on the left side, for each of those disks, for each 3,000 of those disks, or rather for each iteration of that for each loop on the left side, so for each VM, it's saying of these 3,000 disks, which one belongs, which ones belong to this VM? Of these 3,000 disks, which one belongs to this VM? Over and over and over and over. So it has to cycle through and look at each of those 3,000 disks, each iteration of that loop. Whereas on the right-hand side, for each iteration of the loop, uh, this loop says, hey, here's the VM I have, vCenter which hard disks belong to it. And vCenter being the authoritative source of which hard disks go to which VM is able to churn that information back quicker and more efficiently in this instance than we are or than PowerShell is actually examining each individual item of that variable. So earlier when I said you want to minimize your gets. That's true, but in this case, even though I'm running a get 900 times on the right-hand side, it ends up being quicker than using the logic statement on the left-hand side. So I do uh, this same sort of experiment a couple more times. So doing the same thing here with hosts and VMs. So left-hand side, again, super similar. Got the VM stored in a variable. Take the uh, VM hosts, and I store it in a variable, and then I say for each of these VMs, which one of them has a host like this VM host that the loop is currently on, and that ends stuff for each vCPU, number CPU, part of a script that I wrote a long time ago, but it doesn't really do anything, so we can ignore that last pipeline. But in this instance, we see that it runs for 17 seconds. And again, this is similar or written similarly to the one that took three minutes before, the one on the right. So for get VM hosts, again, I assign that to a variable, and then for each one of them, I go to vCenter and I say for this VM host, which VM belongs to this VM host? And in this instance, it is actually longer. And that might seem weird, but I believe that that is because, and it's sort of an, a weird way to put it, is that because the number of hosts, and in this environment, there's the same number of VMs, so around 900 VMs, but there's around 40-something hosts, that it actually is longer to get that information from vCenter each time than it is to cycle through the logic. But as you can see, they're really close. And I'm sure that you know if the number of VM hosts went up, 
and the number of VMs went up, that the, the time on the left-hand side would increase at a greater rate than the time on the right-hand side. And we can see that in the next one. Not to sort of beat a dead horse here, but I think it's cool to see. So we're doing the same thing for a third time. We're doing get VMs, sign up to the variable VMs. We're doing get network adapter on the second one for those VMs and assigning it to VM adapters. So again, very similar to what we've seen for each of the VMs. We're going to do VM adapters and which one of them belongs to the VM the loop is currently on. We see that for this particular instance, this ran for a minute and 41 seconds. And on the next one, uh, again, very similar to the way we've done it on the right the past two times, uh, we do the uh, VMs. And then for each of the VM, for each VM in the VMs, we take that VM, then we go to vCenter. We say, get me the network adapter for this VM. And obviously, you know, network adapters, there are going to be, I don't know how many there are, but uh, there are going to be fewer than hard disks because generally most Windows VMs probably have at least two hard disks. You've got a C and a D. SQL servers are going to have a lot more than that. But most VMs are probably going to have one network adapter. Maybe two. So again, you're probably looking at you know 900 network adapters, a thousand network adapters, as opposed uh, as opposed to 3,000 hard disks. So for this one again, on the right hand side, it is you know two and a half times faster than using the logic on the left. So it's always interesting and important to make sure you know how your script is running and what it's returning and how it's returning it and how quickly it's doing it. So measure command is super great for those types of things. Okay, next one. Filter on the left. We are so to not filtering on the left. There are so many reasons too. First one is that it bypasses the pipeline. When you bypass the pipeline, you don't send all of those objects from that first commandlet through the pipeline, which can hurt your speed and performance. And it can make it less concise, and in some cases, even less readable. So if you filter on the left, it even bypasses some, bypasses some standard logic statements. So if you're filtering on the right, you might be able to eliminate some if statements. Sorry, if you're filtering on the left, you might be able to eliminate some if statements. You might be able to eliminate some uh, where statements, where object statements, like I was just using with the question mark and being bad at readability. Um, filtering on the left, you might even, depending on the commandlet, be able to use the dash filter parameter. Um, you're going to see the dash filter parameter more in Windows commandlets, uh, you know, like the WMI object or even some uh, AD commandlets. Most of the VMware related commandlets you see it on will be related to API, so like get view and those sorts of things. And believe it or not, it is, as I said, it is generally going to be cleaner, more concise, and more readable. And some of you may have noticed this or may not have noticed this, but I haven't been filtering on the left once. And <laughs> 
which is entirely possible you haven't noticed, just because, as I said very upfront, we are very used to not filtering on the left. So when we don't do it, we really don't even see it. So let's look at some examples of filtering on the left. So get VM, uh, VM name. So I'm getting the information for this specific VM, and I want to get the VM host. Well, if I was filtering on the left, I would do get VM host uh, with the parameter VM and just pull that, just pull that VM right there. Filtering on the left, that will be more quicker, more quicker. That will be quicker 100% of the time. Next one, get VM, VM name, network adapter. Get the network adapter for the specific VM. Again, it's going to be quicker to do a get network adapter. Explicitly state which VM you want to get the network adapter for. One more, get VM host. And I want to get the VMs for that specific VM host. Well, the better alternative is to get VM, identify the location. And location is an interesting parameter because you can actually specify a whole host of things. Um, you can specify the VM host. You can specify a resource pool. You can specify a data center, uh, all kinds of stuff. But again, that bottom example will be quicker. And I have two examples here. So um, sort of like I was doing earlier with the hard disks where object, where its parent is like the VM, well, it is significantly faster to do the second way, the get hard disk VM and just explicitly state the VM. In fact, this the, is the first way to do it, the get VM, get hard disk. That's 21 seconds. Um, you may remember from the very first example I did, the one on the right was 22 seconds. So this is very similar to that. But if I had run that the way that I'm running this here with filtering on the left, it drops to seven seconds. So it, it becomes a third of the time just filtering on the left. But because we so often are just used to saying get VM, get VM host, or get VM, get hard disk, we, we don't even notice that we are not doing it the best way we can, even though for this simple command, it's done in a third of the time. All right, so next up is for each object versus the for each. And I'll just call it statement. So I'll call the one on the right the statement, the one on the left to be the object, just for simplicity and so everyone knows what I'm talking about. So for each object on the left, it accepts and it can pass pipeline input and output. The one on the right does not play nice with the pipeline at all. It really can't accept pipeline input and it really can't do pipeline output. So the one on the left, the for each object, it starts quicker. And what that means is since it accepts pipeline input, it starts processing whatever it is that you have for each command doing. It starts processing as soon as it receives that first pipeline object. So as soon as it gets that first object from the pipeline, it starts churning through whatever function, commandlet, whatever you have assigned to it. Whereas the one on the right, it finishes quicker, so it's more efficient that way, but it doesn't start what it's doing or the commands you have assigned to it, the commandlets you have assigned to it, until it gets everything that it needs. 
So for the one on the right, I have get VM, or sorry, for the one on the left, I have get VM for each object. So as soon as it sees that first VM come through, it's going to start showing you what the VMs are. The one on the left, or man, I don't know why I keep messing that up. The one on the right, it will not start churning out and telling you what those VMs are until it receives all of those VMs. Hopefully that makes sense. And because of those two things, the one on the left for each object requires less memory because as it gets those objects from the pipeline, it spits them out. It gets them, spits it out, just like a conveyor belt. The one on the right for each statement requires more memory because it has to gather all of those objects first before it starts doing those commands and those commandlet functions, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the well, it's probably not the last, but the other important thing to note between them is that for each object plays uh, nice with the begin, process, and end statements or parameters, whatever you would call them in PowerShell. And the for each statement on the right does better loop control. So you can control the loop better than with for each object. Hopefully, although I just flew through that, hopefully that makes sense to everyone. And obviously, I haven't said this yet, but Damien said it. If you guys have questions, let me know, and I'll do my best. All right. So I guess nothing, Damien, I guess nothing crazy has come through yet, question-wise or anything? Uh, the only question that we've had so far came from Conrad Mitchell. Uh, let's see, let me pull it up here. Uh, and you may have covered it already, uh, so let me know if not, Conrad. But uh, his question was about git-view, uh, and he was just uh, curious to know if there was any other information out there about git-view as the best way to use it. And if I'm not mistaken, git-view hits the mob directly, doesn't it? Yeah. So uh, Git, uh, we're going to talk about it in a minute, so I won't go into it uh, too much. Um, the git view essentially pulls directly from the APIs, so it's going to be quicker, but I'm going to talk about that more in a minute, so that may uh, answer his question a bit. Hopefully, we'll see. Cool. Well, if that is it for this exact moment, I'm going to keep churning. So the next thing we got is utilizing compare object. So what does this do? Well, believe it or not, it is great for comparing. Um, uh, you can use lists. You can also use arrays and specify the property parameter. And it also can help make your script easier to read and more concise. I actually have a compare example here, one that might be even useful to some people. So here I'm setting up two variables. I'm setting these variables up to be pretend lists of VLANs from two different vCenters. So VLANs old will say is going to be my list of VLANs, and I've already pulled that up front, so this is just the straight list of VLANs. 
hold it, sort it, whatever. And I'm assigning it to the VLANs old. So this is the VLANs. These are the VLANs of my old vCenter. VLANs new are the VLANs that are currently assigned to my new vCenter. Let's say I'm doing a migration or, or who knows what. But I want to know, and I need to know, that all of my VLANs on this one vCenter match all of the VLANs on the new vCenter I'm going to because I don't want to screw any VMs that are moving and don't have the proper networking. So doing this uh, maybe the regular way with standard logic if statements quickly, and I know this doesn't look too complicated, but quickly becomes really a thought exercise because you have to think, okay, well, I want to take the VLANs that I'm coming from, and if there is one, and if in the VLANs new, if it doesn't contain the VLAN from the VLAN old, then that's the one I need to know about. And I've done, I called it a thought exercise, so I've done thought or thinking exercises like this before, and it always takes a few minutes to just piece it out in your head and figure out which piece needs to be looped, which piece needs to be in the if statement, and how you need to output that to yourself so you know that you're even getting something. And even then, it takes me a time or two to get you know the right information back. But using the compare object commandlet, it's one line, and it's a super easy line. So compare object, reference object the VLANs old, or the old VLANs, the difference object, or maybe differential object, if you want to call it that. It won't work if you use that as a parameter, but the difference object is VLANs new. And I, I used pass-through. You don't necessarily need to use pass-through. Pass-through just sort of helps maybe display it a bit nicer and also allows you to set it to a variable and some other stuff. But right there, that one line, that one line will spit out 7 and 8. Done. I know which VLANs from the old are not on the new, and I can act accordingly. Maybe they need to be added. Maybe I don't care and they're being decommissioned. Either way, I take that thought exercise that's going to take a few minutes and probably a bit longer to run just because you have that extra logic statement, and I've turned it into one commandlet that can do the exact same thing and do it better. Utilizing API. So this might be what uh, the other Conrad, which is just sort of weird for me to even say, was talking about. So utilizing APIs is going to be vastly superior to... Hey, Conrad. Yes. So for the record, um, apparently I, I can't use a keyboard while speaking at the same time. And oh, you've okay. known me for years, so, so you've probably already known that. But it, his name it, is actually Grant. It's Graham Mitchell, yes. Oh, yes. Graham Mitchell, not Conrad Mitchell. Yes, Graham Mitchell. I'm in my mid-30s, and every single minute of every day I forget that I can't actually multitask properly. So, <laughs> Graham hey, Mitchell. All, I just wanted to make that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all have to know our strengths and weaknesses. Okay. Yes, Fair yes, enough. indeed. <laughs> okay, well, Graham. Graham Mitchell, okay. Well, that, that, makes, it, that makes it a bit easier, because I rarely hear other people named Conrad. Uh, anyway, so in utilizing APIs, they're going to be vastly quicker than using standard commandlets, just because 
commandlets in and of themselves use the APIs. So when you use an API, you're essentially skipping the middleman and going right to the source and getting what you need. Because of that, it can these APIs and the information you can get from the APIs contains everything, everything you would normally have access to with commandlets and more because it is the API, everything that has to do with that, that the the program, the GUI uses is in there. So if there's something you can't find with a standard commandlet, there is a damn near 100% chance you can find it using the API. Um, there is obviously some exceptions to that, but it is a very strong rule of thumb if that is the case. However, as I'm sure Graham can attest to, using the APIs, because they're not the pretty packaged commandlets that um, these vendors give to us, they can be a bit more com complex to use and a bit more tricky. And if they're not well documented, then um, <laughs> it can be a real struggle finding what you need and where you need it and how you need it. Um, it also, instead of utilizing commandlets to actually take action. So um, standard commandlets, you might say get VM and pipe it to a start VM. Or get VM and you want to set the CPU to something else. You're going to say set VM, you know, number CPU, whatever. Well, with APIs, all of the sort of sets are not going to be sets. They're going to use some sort of method, which is very different than a commandlet. Also, because they can be a bit more complex, utilizing these APIs can also decrease readability. It can make it a bit harder to follow what is happening in your script, because you are essentially using what devs use to write their program, and that might be harder to understand than the pretty commandlets that these vendors give us. So here's an example of the API. And I have this example um, courtesy of a uh, Power CLI community forum post by Mr. Matt Boren, who uh, really likes API, so he does this quite often. So here is a normal example of what you would do with the regular commandlets. So you're doing a get VM, you're doing a select, and you're setting up how you want it to display with um, the columns and a couple hash tables there and whatnot. Pretty, yeah, it uses you know the some hash tables, so it might be a bit more complex, but it's pretty standard stuff. There's nothing crazy. So do that exact same thing but with the API. It is a bit longer and it's a bit more don't want to say crazy, but it might be slightly more convoluted. So you're actually going to do a get view, and then you're going to do a view type virtual machine. And there's view types for all sorts of things. There's uh, there's data store view types, there's resource pool view types, there's cluster view types, all kinds of stuff. And uh, sort of in the way that we talked about earlier with filtering on the left, get view allows us to specify which properties of these objects we won't return. So uh, Matt Bourne in this specific example is saying, I want to 
I want the name, I want the power state, status, host, and storage information. So up front, instead of receiving everything back about this VM, and there's a lot of information in the APIs about individual VMs, he is saying, I just want that specific stuff. And from that, he just makes it pretty. So he says, I want the, I want, you know, the column power state to actually be this, and I want the column VM host to actually be that, so forth and so on. So after that, it's a pretty, it's a pretty basic select and then hash table to, you know, decide what you want. But that first part, get VM on the, on the very top example, sorry, I hit my mic, uh, get VM on the top example versus the get view, view type. I mean, those two lines are drastically different, although they return the same thing of, you know, what you're looking for and, and what you want. So the APIs are nice to use and nice to have. Um, it does come back to, you know, our, you are, you might be sacrificing a bit of readability and a bit of conciseness to get that maybe performance increase that you might need in your particular script. And there are also some things you can only do with APIs, which this is one that I pulled um, from my own blog, vnoob.com, tossing it out there. Um, but this one, uh, the goal of this script here is to set a VM's upgrade power cycle to, uh, sorry, a VM's upgrade VMware tools at power cycle to upgrade at power cycle instead of don't upgrade at power cycle. So for the first thing here, I'm actually setting up a new object, a virtual machine config spec, and setting that spec to upgrade at power cycle. And the second half here is I'm just saying, oh, I want to get VMs, the ones that I specify. And for each of them, I want to get their API, so I do the uh, dollar sign VM, it's on the third line of the second paragraph, so to speak, dollar sign VM, get view. So I'm getting the API for that VM right there in that line. And then in that next line, I'm using a method, which I talked about earlier, that APIs utilize methods to get done what they need done, and I'm going to reconfig that VM utilizing the spec that I set in the previous paragraph. So, I mean, this really doesn't look anything like, for the most part, the standard commandlets that most would use to accomplish things. However, for the specific example, at least last time I checked, there's not another way to do this except for using the API. So sometimes it just has to be a bit messy to get the job done and sacrifice, you know, readability and those sorts of things to get what you need done, done. Uh, there are my references, and with that, I say thanks, and are there any questions? Hopefully that is helpful to all, or some, or one person, something. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have any questions uh, that are showing up here in the webinar, but I, I do want to remind everyone that if you do have questions, uh, of course, feel free uh, to to tweet at vnoob if you have any questions about his talk that he just did tonight. Or uh, you could also hit hashtag the brown bag. A um, couple of the things I wanted to point out that, uh, you know, listening to Conrad go through this reminded me of, of, you know, my own experiences back when I was what I jokingly like to refer to as earning an honest living. 
um, as a production uh, IT admin was to use the PowerShell um, IFB, the actual editor that ships with Windows, because it allows you to inspect those objects um, on the right-hand side. There's, you know, there's a pane where you can basically expand everything that's returned with an object. And then that way, you know, you can actually see, um, you know, like let's say, for example, oh, I want to, you know, look at my, my mix or see the host or something like that. And you can start to see all the other information that's returned along with the commands such as git-vm. Um, and, and, and it'll show you all those things. And uh, it, was, it was very helpful for me to understand how those, those objects and uh, those those properties were laid out, so I could then begin to, to kind of write better scripts. Uh, to my knowledge, that's pretty much the only way that you can find up that information. Of course, I you know I haven't used uh, PowerShell or PowerCLI directly in about a year or two, but uh, you know back then you couldn't really do anything like that from the command line, um, and there wasn't really a whole lot of documentation available. Uh, specifically about um, VMware uh, objects that are returned with uh, PowerCLI. So that was one cool thing that I uh, used quite a bit. I, I just wanted to kind of, uh, in the hopes that someone else might find that useful. So uh, yeah, thank you very much, Conrad. Uh, that was a great talk. I, I definitely appreciate your time, and I would imagine that, that everyone else that uh, has both attended and, and will be listening to this in the future, uh, you know, we'll also find it interesting. I, I don't have any questions, so I think that well, uh, we can go ahead and, and call it an evening unless you had a few extra thoughts, Conrad. Yeah, I'll just throw out, uh, you know, a couple other things real quick. Just, you know, sure. some standard scripting stuff. You know, obviously, if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, probably even better than me, though. Uh, Probably the best resource if you have any questions regarding scripting are going to be the forums. Um, I, you know, try to look there when I can and help out where I can. I know the people who man them, or probably the person who mans them day at day in and day out, is uh, Luke D. Um, and Luke Deacons, and he is, you know, like the godfather, grandfather, whatever you want to call him of PowerCLI, and he is on there. Um, really more than I would think that a human would be capable of being on the forums. And he is just amazing, and he is so helpful and everything else. I am obviously happy to help anyone. If you want to reach out to me via Twitter, my website, whatever. Um, but if for some reason I get hit by a bus tomorrow, as we say in the IT world, obviously check out the forums, whether it's the PowerCLI forums, there are PowerShell forums. You know, There are always great people out there to help out. So if you're struggling with anything, reach out. Someone will help. Yeah, there was a time a few years ago uh, that I uh, spent a lot of time there on those forums, and uh, just kind of for kicks, I would try to help people solve their problems before Luke Deacons jumped in there, and that did not go well for me. I have yeah. no idea how that man is capable of doing what he does, it's, but he's I, got an amazingly high level of contribution to those forums. Oh yeah, I I I in fact tried to do the same thing as well, Damien, and <laughs> it's damn near impossible. Like, I, <laughs> right, right. Like I I have been on those forums hitting refresh, waiting for someone to post something new, and it, and I see something new come up and it has zero replies, and I'm like, sweet. And by the time I am in there, 
and I type out whatever it is I can to help them, and I hit send, he already submitted like the absolute best answer anyone could ever submit and solved everything. <laughs> and then I post yeah, it exactly. looking like a tool, and it's just it's crazy. <laughs> that guy is he's amazing and so generous Indeed. with his time. In, indeed, indeed he is. And uh, for for those of you who may not know, um, I believe his blog is LukeD.info. Is that right, Conrad? Um, uh, and yes, his, his his yeah, yeah, it's LukeD.info. Yep, and it's, his Twitter account is at LukeD, and uh, that's that's L-U-C-D. Uh, and you know he's. He's got a ton of really great information, a lot of great scripts. In fact, uh, I, I used his blog uh, rather extensively when I was starting to learn how to script with PowerCLI and understand a lot of the things like Git-View that we saw here tonight because he used that uh, pretty heavily. You know, he was one of the leading, probably the only leading person for, for you know, a, a good number of years around scripting for, for VMware. I just tossed it up on the presentation too. If anyone wants to hit up cool. Luke D, <laughs> yes, <Four links. laughs> yes, I presented. Like, Come on, no bother him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I've got forums to run, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in all honesty, if anybody wants to reach out to me, by all means, I'm always happy to help and willing to help and do whatever I can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, excellent. Thank you very much, everyone. Uh, we look forward to uh, to seeing everyone next week. Um, I believe next week we're going to be talking about GitHub security with Mr. Ed Haletke, uh, although uh, lineups can always change, uh, but I believe that's the next thing on the schedule. So uh, without further ado, I believe we're going to call it an evening. Conrad, thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, guys.